Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Got Pop Popular Culture Podcast. I'm Joe Trotta, your host for today's episode. I'm flying solo. My typical co-host, Huma Sadre, is off doing bigger and better things today. Before we get into the topic of today's episode, I'd like to do a little housekeeping about the podcast. As you may have noticed, in recent months, we haven't been able to release very many episodes. We've had a lot of other pressures. We've had a book project going on, and we've had the normal pressures of work and our private lives, and it was just too much. And that's one of the reasons why we're going to have to take a pause here for the podcast. This will be the last episode, at least in this format, and maybe there will be some other format in which we can continue. But for now, the Got Pop Popular Culture Podcast will be discontinued. But today we're talking about critical world building, which requires a little explanation. But before we get to that, let me introduce our guests. We have Stephanie Ekman and Audrey Taylor, both of whom are literary scholars, uh, both of whom have worked quite a bit with science fiction, fantasy, things like that. And I would say, from my point of view, popular culture. So let me let you introduce yourselves and tell me what you're doing and, uh, and what your projects are and that kind of stuff. Okay, so um, yes, I'm Audrey Taylor. I am an assistant professor of English literature at Sol Ross State University, Middle Rio Grande College, um, or campuses, which is uh, down very southeast Texas on the border with Mexico. Um, so an, an, an interesting cultural area. Um, and yeah, I work on uh, mostly fantasy, but a bit of science fiction now as well. I have a book on Patricia A. McKillop and the art of fantasy world building, uh, which was kind of at the start of this world building project. And I am working on a book on Anne McCaffrey at the moment. Fantastic. And I'm Stefan Ekman. Uh, I work at Gothenburg University at a national unit called the Swedish National Data Service, which has nothing whatsoever to do with science fiction or fantasy. But my research interests uh, include world building, and I've also been on this podcast earlier with my other research interest, urban fantasy. Yeah, I forgot to mention that Stefan is a returning guest here, one of our favorites, uh, very prolific uh, author, a very prolific researcher on the subject of fantasy and especially world building. You were also on the um, podcast Imaginary Worlds once, weren't you? Which yes. Which is, is a very uh, well-known podcast about this type of thing. Yeah. Uh, so I have a book that looked at fantasy maps and settings, mm -hmm. and especially fantasy maps. I've been invited to do a number of, of talks in various conferences. I've also attended, as you say, a podcast uh, in the US. Yes. Okay, so let's get down to this critical world building. I think a lot of us already have an idea of what world building is, but there might be some people out there who don't, and then we have to understand what, what, what critical world building is. So why don't you guys give us a, some kind of preliminary, some definition, something to work with. Right, so the best thing to understand this, I think, is the uh, background to our, our whole venture and the reason why we came to work together on this uh, and that was on a conference on the fantastic a few years ago where a paper session about world building ended in a discussion of spectacular <laughs> that ended with a, a discussion full of, of spectacular misunderstandings mm -hmm. because where Everyone participating thought they knew what world building was. They had different ideas about what it was. And so 
Audrey and I got to talking afterwards and decided that part of the problem with, with using world building as a critical concept um, is that people have, have different ideas about what it is and they seemed to miss one important bit of it. But surely they're overlapping ideas to some extent. They're not completely different ideas. Well, they're, they're separate functions that we'd like mm. to, to separate out. But every person is made up of more than one thing and so you can use different types of world building so mm. there are authors that are also critics or or mm. critics who are authors and and people do different things when they're working with it okay right and so we, we started looking at well first of all many people talk about world building as what a producer of worlds so in in our cases usually we talk about authors uh, but you could think of filmmakers or you could think of, of uh, game mm -hmm. producers um, or any other kind of medium. They create worlds and they create worlds to fit a certain purpose. Mm -hmm. um, but they can they can go back, they can change things. And it's, it's a question of, of their craft, mm -hmm. as it were. Uh, then you have the consumer of worlds. Uh, we would talk about readers usually. Mm -hmm. um, but you could think of, of someone who watches a TV series or watches a movie or someone who plays a computer game, plays a role-playing game. Um, board, board games too have that. Or a, bo or a board game. Yeah. Um, and they create worlds and it's, it's some kind of cognitive process, mm -hmm. uh, how you create a mental model of whatever it is that is communicated to you. Mm -hmm. So that's a different kind of world building. It's not the same mm -hmm. as what the author uh, does. Uh, and finally, we found that we would like to argue that critics, someone who looks at a work critically, mm -hmm. um, does something completely different. So the author can do whatever and change things um, however he or she wants to. The reader takes this in in a linear fashion. It's it's a sequence. You get one detail, then you get the next detail, then you get the next detail. And you sort of build a world through that sequence. And usually the order you get things has to do with what the narrative requires. Whereas a critic would start off reading about the world uh, linearly, absolutely. But would then go back and see how do these details that were given in the beginning of, of a book say, uh, how do they fit together with the entire world? Okay. Uh, how do they fit with fantasy tropes in general? But they're also coming in with, um, you know, sort of critical expertise in terms of lenses or coming mm. in with feminism or Marxism or whatever you want to work with and all of that knowledge and knowledge about, as Stefan was saying, um, tropes and other pieces mm -hmm. um, from having done lots and lots of reading in a particular way. Okay. And so a critic is coming in with lots of different types of information than perhaps the casual reader, although, of course, uh, these do overlap a little bit. Mm -hmm. Let me, let me just ask you, because not everybody will, will, will be aware of this. When we're talking about critics, you're, you're, you're including, say, uh, academics who do research on literature, not just people who are reviewing books. Because I think when a lot of people think yeah. of critics, they think of like movie critics and book critics who may, may or may not have an academic background. Absolutely. So you're, I think your focus is probably more on researchers, right? Or, or, you, or you say it's equally... I think what we're trying to do is focus on anyone who 
does that kind of of work with literature or okay, with okay. with text so mm. could be uh, a critic a reviewer mm. could be a scholar mm. could be a fan who's yeah. just very interested in in mm. uh, how the work or the world mm-hmm. works out mm-hmm. um and we're not saying that you can't be all of these you could be an mm. author who's also critically interested in their own work exactly or how lot. other people do things which is largely how world building is put out there as sort of manuals or you know there's thousands mm. of web pages about world building and how mm. you do it right that's the so most there are instruction guides about i guess there are because there are guides about everything so so why wouldn't there be ones about world and building? dozens of books and things on and it's all what we call authorial world building how right, okay. you physically you know how do you put together a world and what makes mm. a good world and how mm. do you do it and there's lots of guides and things um but again the problem is that people use it in that sense yeah. but they might mean something different mm. than an author actually putting it together mm-hmm. so i mean i don't know if uh, we can include other types of uh, literary terms here but is this some kind of a reception based view you're not talking about an audience reception but you're talking about the 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 critical readers reception and how they look at these worlds is that would that be a fair assessment i'm guessing no (laughs) maybe (laughs) maybe i'm we hadn't thought of it in those terms Mm. it's it's actually an interesting point Mm. and now we will go away and think about it yes because there i mean and i'm also thinking that there's a lot of overlap here which i I know you guys are aware of but i mean uh i don't know if you're looking at blogs but i mean a lot of people who are very into these things they'll have their ideas and they'll be writing blogs or they'll be on message boards discussing different aspects of like this world and like how could daenerys do that when we know from uh, you know because they're so caught up and there are people who have I don't know if you consider Lost an example of a world-building thing, but there are people who have watched Lost and sketched out these areas that they wouldn't be able to see from the show. Oh, so yeah. So they have, they're also taking it in, and that's a type of reception-based uh, view of it. And, and, of course, these can overlap. Like I say, it could be all one and the same person. Yeah. And, I mean, we're also saying these three that we've looked mostly at, so authorial and readerly and mm. then critical, mm. uh, we're perfectly happy to include other ways of engaging with with mm-hmm. the world and you're bringing up the uh, what we have no good name for yet but mm-hmm. we're thinking of in, in terms of what fans among mm-hmm. others do the the encyclopedic folk, yeah this sort of encyclopedic thing you're focusing yeah. on, on details on minutia of the world mm-hmm. and you'd know all of it and you'd relate it all to each other and which is slightly different from what okay. uh, a lit scholar would do mm-hmm. um but not totally alien but i think there is a difference and i'm also thinking if you look at world building in terms of games mm-hmm. you have the um the way that game mechanics work together mm-hmm. with a world mm-hmm. um so we're open for there being different types of of world building uh, sure, yeah. and yes they overlap but mm-hmm. our interests lie then with the critical approach well before we go on then because we are going to talk a little bit more about these definitions and also how we separate this from the traditional idea of, of world building can you give us some examples of stuff that you've been looking at so that we it's very basic ones to give us a starting point uh, right so the obvious bits that that we've looked at is in a text what kind of details can you find mm-hmm. um what is there in a text that 
produces a sensation of, of, of world or mm. contributes to the world that you experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be just descriptions. Mm-hmm. Um, but in fantasy, for instance, there's also very popular to include, say, maps. And maps, mm. since that's my mm. area, I've looked a lot at how maps contribute mm. to, to the building of worlds and other non-narrative elements mm. uh, contribute. We're currently working on an article on uh, epigraphs, so the little pieces of text okay, yeah. at the beginning of, say, a chapter or a, a novel. Um, and what happens if these epigraphs are from the from within the fictional world. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's some book within that world by some playwright or poet that they... they and, and they've taken a snippet and put it at the beginning yeah. of the book as though it were a real yeah. thing outside of that world. Yeah, I think The King isn't. in Yellow is Robert Chambers. That's a totally different type of a mm-hmm. story, but I think he takes quotes from something that doesn't exist as little beginnings yeah. of the story. Yes, yeah, exactly that. So let me ask you then, um, that's because I'm not... I, I've only heard about this today, and I'm trying to get my head around it. So how is that different? Is that the, is that the critical world building, or is that from the author's perspective you're talking about? No, that's that's part of the... I mean, an author probably thinks about those sorts of things, mm. but, but not in the direction that a critic necessarily would. Mm. So a uh, critic is looking, again, you've, you've read something, mm. then you go back and you're looking at it again, and you have the whole picture in your head, but mm. you're also looking at pieces. Mm-hmm. And so things like um, Patricia McKillop, who I worked on, or, mm. or Tolkien, who, of course, lots of people are very familiar with. Has he written books? <laughs> he <laughs> has written a few, think, a few yeah, books, okay. yes. Yeah. Um, he, he has lots of myths and legends and things interspersed and they're not necessarily um, big important things Mm. there's a lot of sort of names are dropped or Mm. or one tiny little snippet of a story and you follow that and that gives you a bigger sense of the world in music i would refer to that as flourishes or something like that you're adding these little doodly things to to fill out like uh, the lines to make it you know like grace notes or flourishes that don't Mm. necessarily aren't necessary for the story but just make it a little more interesting or detailed and and in i think in the in how many of those you pull together you start it it becomes necessary in a way for that type of mm-hmm. world i mm-hmm. mean some people that it drives them crazy all mm. of those little extra bits but then there's of course many many readers who are very interested in all of that mm. and feel like it adds something and Stefan hates this phrase but um depth to the world right that okay. we all um read something and it feels like there's more world around the corner mm-hmm. right okay. that's the saying but isn't i mean a, a little bit of a digression here but tolkien's a little special from this right because he was always more interested in the world building than the stories themselves that, that's my impression of him because he was, as a linguist, he, at least if you listen to him, and you can't always trust what the author says, he, yeah. it was the languages. He wanted to create the languages and he was fascinated by that. Never thought anybody else would be interested in the languages and then created the stories to, 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 to create a world in which the languages could exist. That's the way I've understood the story. Well, yeah, and, and that's part of what we wanted to talk about yeah. is the fact that uh, he is the author. He's mm-hmm. putting forward his ideas and his memories of how he created something or why he wanted to create something and now there's a narrative about that right right? but we're not in his head no right so if you separate that out from Mm. being the critic and looking at it Mm. we can look at it and think about it and you can think of it okay take that into account and you can also ignore that and Mm. go and look at the other things that he did with it so you can look just at the languages as many people have done Mm. or you can look at you know uh, more classic things like setting or the characters or all of that sort of thing. 
I, I think it's interesting also you say mm. that Tolkien claimed yeah. this. Because it's a good story. It's a good story. Yeah. It's a really good story. Mm. But that's one of our, our problems with the authorial aspect of world building. It's really mm. hard to study what's in yeah. an author's mind. Mm. Um, we, we had a, a really good example at the infamous discussion uh, at this, this conference where it mm. all started, uh, where one of the authors present in the same paragraph managed to explain how she uh, couldn't remember how she did this, mm. but also that she always started with a plan and let things build as she went along. Mm. And if you don't remember, first of all, how do you know that you started with a plan? Mm. If you start with a plan, how can you claim that you let things develop as they go along? And so I think the problem here is we, we don't know. No, um, it's, this is a romantic idea about how things are created and people mm. want to keep it a little mysterious. I'm not saying everybody does it or that they even do it on purpose if they do it. It's just that we they have this idea that's how the creative mind works. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's why we wanted to separate it out a little bit because most of the time when people are talking about mm. world building, which is this really interesting subject, they're talking about it from an author's perspective or mm. a future author's perspective. And, and actually there's a huge chunk of that that you can't know mm. in the same way that you can look at a text and say it says this here and they are using this word mm. and this word in this context means mm. x thing when it usually means y thing and so we think that's interesting because mm. it's doing things right okay. so and that was the thing that you thought was missing when everybody was talking about world but it was this critical perspective yes that when everybody was talking about even though there was some some overlap in their ideas they never never at least never formalized it in words that there is this thing that's outside of the author yes exactly yeah. And when you slip across them, you it, it's harder to look at the same thing in, mm. in a way that's equivocal, right? So mm. um, if you're all using the same term, but you all mean different things yeah. by it, you're not really having a good discussion about something. You're mm. all having your own discussions, but you mm. can't mm. cross sure. things. And right? when people are benevolent in a conversation, they say, oh, yeah, I think I know what that person they, They're looking for the connections, and maybe it's not really there. Yeah. That's uh, very interesting, actually. I was just wondering when you're talking about this, um, uh, when you're talking about this view of how it's received by scholars and people like that. Is this like what you might call, uh, you know, culturalist theory or Marxist theory? Is there any difference here between the way, let's say, a Marxist might read uh, a book written by Dickens and, and they would say, well, okay, he's created this world, but let's let's look what was going on historically at that time and why this has been woven into the story. Is it very different? I mean, obviously, you're talking about fictional or fantasy worlds, but there are certain things that, that go in there based on on what's happening in the world today and also what's happened within those genres before, right? You can absolutely look at it, and it doesn't have to be fantasy or science fiction or anything else. I mean, part of uh, there's some interesting things in, in terms of non-genre literature, looking at the fact that um, people think of fantasy and science fiction as making worlds. But of mm. course, even in non-genre things and things yeah. that are supposed to be medic or real, quote unquote, you are making a world, you're making assumptions, you are mm. drawing attention to things that you think are important or you're ignoring things that you think aren't. And all of those decisions make a sort of world that the reader is entering into, mm. mm -hmm. right? So there's always that aspect, even when you don't think about it in terms of like science fiction or fantasy where it's being completely or not completely invented, but largely invented. Mm -hmm. And we have sort of postulated that critical world building, there are three processes that work in, in parallel. Mm -hmm. that when you look at a text critically, 
first of all, you're looking at all of the text, mm -hmm. sort of holistically. You're, you're sort of taking all the little details of a text in relation to the entire text. Mm -hmm. So that's one part. And then the second is that you have to be aware of the importance of the sequence in which something is introduced okay. and the relation sometimes then between the the sequence of how various world elements are introduced and where the narrative is at that point. Mm -hmm. that there is a critical value to that or a scholarly value to noting that. But then the third is to see how the world and the various parts of the world relate in whatever critical approach you, you choose. If you choose a Marxist approach, then mm. that's going to determine what the various elements mean in relation to each other. Mm -hmm. um, if you pick a feminist approach, you're going to mm. get a different angle. Right. Mm. Uh, but also, as seeing the, the world as part of a greater whole. So in mm. fantasy, we'd see it as related to other fantasy worlds. Mm -hmm. Is this something that is common in fantasy worlds? Is the author mm -hmm. sort of working with uh, a traditional type of world, with sort of basically Tolkien, Middle Earth in a new new dress, or is this something that is completely unique? Uh, so that kind of awareness then is this the third, the sort of critical or interpretative awareness of a larger situation for the for that world. But also, as as you were saying, I mean. Uh, it, this doesn't just have to be academic lenses, right? Mm -hmm. We think it worth talking about things like feminism or Marxism, which are largely academic mm -hmm. lenses, or or they could be, you know, economic or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it could also be uh, somebody reading it with their own particular interests in mind. They will be reading it differently, right? So I have a background in horses. So when I'm reading something, I can look at it and say, okay, that can't happen. You can't have a horse do X, Y, Z thing. Whereas a different kind of reader coming in with a different background won't notice that at all, mm -hmm. right? And so my conception of the world is slightly different. So I think it doesn't have to be academics mm -hmm. who are looking things through lenses. Of course, mm -hmm. everyone has their lens and it doesn't have to be a formal one. Although, mm -hmm. of course, we are using formal lenses okay. um, and they can be used in that way. So uh, that also opens up for a little slight digression there, too, because I know that sometimes uh, fans especially will get um, stuck on a particular aspect of a story that they think should have or shouldn't have been possible, but they did it anyway. I know like in Titanic, at the end, there's this big controversy about whether or not there was enough room on that bit of door for Jack, right? And then they actually did this on Mythbusters, and they showed that she could have saved him. He could have yeah. survived. <laughs> he could have been on the door. But the script didn't call for that. It was important for the script that he couldn't get on the door. And does that, does that break, like, you know, the suspension of disbelief idea, does that, like, break the whole thing? Or, like, when you see this thing about horses, do you think that, that that's something that maybe, you know, uh, people get a little bit too caught up? Because these are not documentaries. This, you're not reading a story that's meant to be a, a documentary of equestrianship or whatever they call it. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I mean, part of this would go into that category that we haven't really talked about that much yet in our articles and things mm -hmm. in terms of fandom and, and the sort of encyclopedic okay. knowledge and being really invested in those sorts of details. Um, but I don't know if Stefan has a different take on that. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just nodding quietly, which is great for podcasts. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, I mean, in, in some of these worlds, people couldn't argue. I mean, if you've got wizards and dragons and stuff like that, there are certain things that you expect that just they, they defy the laws of nature. But if you've set up an internal logic for something within the story and then that's broken, that can be, that can be enough for a person to just give up on that, uh, 
on that world or those those stories. And that's starting to slip into um, readerly world building, mm-hmm. right? Because thing breaking the the reality of the story that is about how a story is being transmitted to an author's mind or a reader's mind. Mm-hmm. Right. And so a critic might point out that that has happened Mm -hmm. or that that might happen because they're using carbon when it should be, you know, something else, silicone or something. But uh, it it, the effect isn't necessarily the same. The Mm -hmm. critic might be interested in that having happened for whatever reason, whereas a reader, that's a separate type of thing because that's part of your brain process as you're reading, whether you're thrown out of the story and what that even means in Mm -hmm. terms of cognitive processes. Yeah. I think, I think it's a fascinating thing because I mean, I've had plenty of conversations about this kind of stuff with other people. I'm very critical myself when it comes to any type of science fiction or fantasy story. If they've set up a certain logic, they should follow that logic. And when they break it, I feel like they're cheating because then you can just do anything. Yeah. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's what people often, uh, traditional critics of fantasy and science fiction, say, these aren't stories because you can just do any old thing. And I, I don't believe that at all. But if you do set up something, then you should follow it because then you're, otherwise I think you're kind of letting, the re- that's just my opinion. Um, I, I, had, I have this thing about Alien 3, I think, where the one alien kills the other alien so that the floor can melt and they can escape. But then it turns out they can spit acid. So if they can spit acid, why didn't they just spit acid on the floor? Yes. You know what I'm saying? Why did, why did they kill one of them, you know, reduce their numbers when there was a more logical way to do it? And I, it's, I, I get hung up on that kind of stuff. And it would have been an easy fix, you know. It doesn't ruin the movie for me, but... Yeah, there. I mean, there's definitely p- people and even critics who are interested in that um, dynamic. So Harry Potter, why do they use spells versus potions versus um, wands? And yet there are thousands and bajillions of readers of Harry yeah. Potter who love it to death and mm-hmm. they don't care. Isn't, so isn't there a thing about poop in Harry Potter? What, where do they poop or something? Yeah, yeah like it, <laughs> where they used to the old wizards would just kind of do it in their robes and, uh, yeah, and things. It's, yeah, it's like it's like how do people even come up with these ideas? I mean, this is that's the kind of stuff I I remember once when I was seeing E. T. was like when it first came out and somebody was sitting behind me when the kid was on the bicycle and they're flying with the moon there and the guy goes, Yeah, right. And I'm thinking, this is where you draw the line. <laughs> this is and the this line. This is where you decide that this is, you know, suspending your disbelief now at this point in the movie. But I mean every it, it's it's hard to say what people are gonna So that so that's an interesting um topic in and of itself and I'm sure there has been some research on it, but um in terms of world building, that is mostly authorial, I would think. Yeah, I mean, in the Lord of the Rings, I said, why didn't the eagles fly, you know, uh, Sam and Frodo just right onto oh, the yeah. top right of the mountain and yeah. just drop so it off? All, you drop it off like that. And there's also with ET, if they could, if he could fly in his bicycle, why didn't they fly at other times and to get away from the the scientists and things like that? So, I mean, do you have any kind of a clever response to that? <laughs> no, not really. I mean, there's always going to be logical holes in mm. in almost anything if Mm. we look hard enough Mm. because the authors are not going to be expert in everything Mm. um it's it's a little bit like uh since i play role-playing games Mm. um and have for for many many years you realize that as as a game master Mm. you have to be as much expert in everything that your players are uh, are experts in Mm. Or you have to shut up about those details. So I have in my group someone who's a textiles historian. Mm. That means I can never make a pronouncement about details of dress. Okay, okay. Um, Or you have to be very clever at backtracking and back engineering an explanation that could possibly fit somehow. Possibly. But but yeah, but that's not so easy to do. You have to have a certain type of a Trumpian... 
talent <laughs> to make that kind of story. And it doesn't even work then. Sorry, no politics on the show. No, I'm, I'm glad you think I haven't got the Trumpian talent. Yes, that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. So, I mean, I think we've got a couple of examples of this, and I think we've got a fair idea of what we were talking about with critical world building as opposed to what people would consider traditional world building, which is more authorial, and you're looking at how it's received and stuff like that. Do you guys feel like what you're maybe trying to do is un, uh, unveil things that should be revealed? Like, if you have a feminist perspective, I've heard people criticize Song of Fire and Ice and Game of Thrones for the nudity and things like that and, and the, uh, you know, rape and stuff like that. And I, and you could argue this either way. I mean, if this, and like, why is it a medieval world? Why are all these fantasy worlds kind of like faux medieval? Oh, uh, there's so much work on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess it creates shortcuts because if you do that, then it's a type of shortcut and the author doesn't have it. But some people might argue, well, okay, but this is supposed to represent, represent the kind of patriarchal world where this kind of thing can happen, right? So, I mean, is this the kind of stuff that you're kind of looking at? Or you're looking to reveal things that people don't necessarily see within these stories, like maybe a, a feminist critic, critic might do, or a Marxist, or what do they call them? Uh, materialists. If you're an American, you know you can't use the word Marxist. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a materialist. It's materialist <laughs> interpretation. Uh, or, or you're just interested in like a more. I'm not. Gonna, I'm trying to draw a line between a descriptive approach or a theoretical approach. But are you more interested in like laying down a descriptive aspect of it first, and then maybe getting into a more theoretical aspect? Let's say that we're trying to offer a tool, a method to mm. get into. Uh, analyzing and, and interpreting the world and then what particular lens mm. you choose, mm. whether you choose, a, a, say, a, an ideological lens mm. or you pick uh, some other, eco-critical, for instance, mm. Mm. or um, geocritical. It doesn't really matter to mm. us. Mm. Uh, we're just trying to say, okay, if you look at the world from a critical perspective, mm. this is how you can do it. Okay. And then, please insert your own critical interests. Yeah. That so you can fascinating. <laughs> so yeah. you can do whatever you want to do mm. with it. Basically, so it's like we're a toolbox. You guys are putting yes, together a we're toolbox. putting together a toolbox and showing people kind of a diagram. Like this is mm. how you can get started with it. And we would love to see what people do. Whether they do do descriptive. Oh, okay. Well, these are interesting details from the text that mm. people haven't really focused on, and so that's what I found. Or mm. doing things like you know feminist reading of Ice and Fire or whatever. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I think you guys had mentioned earlier when we were doing a little bit of a pre-podcast discussion, you talked about Mark J.P. Wolf and how you, he, he informs a lot of the work you guys do. Is that a fair characterization? He has done uh, a fair amount of work on world buildings in, in secondary worlds, mm. so in worlds that are not uh, imitations of our world, of, mm. of the actual world. Mm. Um, so we have drawn... Assuming on we all live in the same world. We don't, we don't know. Okay. Well, okay. So the actual world, the world I live in. Okay. And then <laughs> what the rest of you are doing, I'm I'll leave okay up to that, you. Yeah. But um, so we have have drawn some of his some of his ideas when it comes to uh, looking at secondary worlds, but then taking it further because Wolf is mainly focused on the authorial and readly aspects, and so mm -hmm. we're trying to take this further into the critical as well okay uh you'll give me the title of at least some of his is there a book or are these a bunch of articles or uh uh there's a book mm. and uh you can give me the title and i'll put it in the the show notes i won't yeah. we, we don't have to say it now no okay uh, okay building imaginary worlds building imaginary JP worlds. wolf mark jp wolf. wolf yes and there's some long subtitle but 
Okay. Yes. Now I'll, I'll include that in the show notes in case anybody wants to check it out. Have you guys produced any research? Not yet. Yes. You have? Okay. Absolutely. You'll have to give me the titles of your, your pieces and I can also put those in the... Uh, are they open access or is this... Uh, uh, much of it is either gold open access or green open access. Okay. But there's also... The books that we have mm. are, of course, more more difficult than to yeah to get that to way. get. But I'll put links to anything you have, and if it's a link to a, to some place where people can buy it, that's fine. But otherwise, if you have links to stuff that people can read for free, yes, absolutely, we have several several articles up that are easily accessible, and and uh, people can have a look. Wow. Well, if I had done my homework properly, I would have read one of them before we did started the podcast. But I'm learning <laughs> I'm learning a lot here today. There was one there's one point here that we we touched on also earlier that I think it might be nice to take up now is this idea of like the author creating this world right and maybe the author uh well we should talk about setting first but like the the author creating one single work uh i was wondering whether or not isn't that the same as setting because the author doesn't know he's that they're creating he or she is creating a whole world that will be continued upon right so first of all maybe you can explain the difference between the the world that that the characters inhabit and the setting and then we can go from that to franchising right so one of the things that we're trying to keep apart is mm. on the one hand the world mm -hmm. and on the the other hand then the the story right mm -hmm. um and so we're also trying to keep that apart in terms of of how you talk about these things mm -hmm. so in a world you'd have events you'd have people uh, and these people would have different roles mm -hmm. uh, in a story a narrative you'd have a plot you'd have mm -hmm. Uh, a setting mm. so that's the, the part of a world where the that's relevant for the story mm. this okay? is what everybody and then in high school in the states for example it's plot character and settings that yeah. you're supposed to analyze but we know it's a bit more complicated than that yeah uh, so we're trying to keep keep those two mm -hmm. apart and mm. one point that is is uh, perhaps relevant to make also if, you, if you've got a good narrative a good, mm -hmm. good, good story you could tell that story mm -hmm. If you've got a good set of characters, you could tell several good stories about those characters. Mm -hmm. And if you've got a good world, there is basically no limit to how many stories you could tell in the same world. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the, the main difference that we see between the setting. It's, it's tied to mm -hmm. the narrative and the, the idea of looking at mm -hmm. the story, whereas we're looking at the world as a much wider right, right. concept. So the setting, as you're saying, is a smaller concept. So if you yes, yes. mentioned just briefly, like Romeo and Juliet, like that, those particular families and what's happening there, the balcony, also, that's part of the setting. But like medieval Italy, if that's what it is, that's the world. That, yeah. yeah, and all of the like customs that. and names and yeah. ev everything outside of that history, everything else. Yeah. yeah, so the world is not just geographical. It's, no. it's, it's also biology. It's, yeah. it's like birds and, and plants yeah. and it's people and their customs and Church. their religions and it's the weather and it's mm. the the general astrology universe. maybe it's that's astrology. important to their culture and yeah. yeah some people would claim you need to know a little bit about astrology to understand a play like that because of the rising sun rising in the east and all this the sun does rise in the east doesn't it well anyway see <laughs> mostly <laughs> most of the time i think it does on, on our world in our anyway. world yes but i mean there, there are other things in there that could make sense if you only focused on what people believe that that's shakespeare's time yes. not the time in which the play might have taken place and i've always wondered about concepts like blood in shakespeare because i don't think they even knew what blood actually did uh, they knew you died if, if you bled too much <laughs> but i'm not sure if they actually knew 
Well, they had a very different conception, didn't they, with yeah. bleeding people and, yeah. you and know, letting the, the humors out the and humors things. and stuff like that. Yes. So, I mean, that might be worth knowing because when you read it today, you've, you, don't, you don't realize that they have this conception. So that's the difference between the world, which allows maybe the author to take certain shortcuts because they know that if, if this takes place in ancient Rome, for example, people have an idea of what, what can and can't happen then. And then they can create a setting, which is a subservient category or a subcategory of the, the world. It's definitely that, smaller. It's definitely smaller. Yes. Okay. All right. Now that we've kind of got that straight, I'm going to have to uh, mold it over a bit, but I think I got it. The uh, We wanted to talk about this. Uh, I wanted to talk about this idea of how when a certain world is created and this this uh, idea of, of, like, say, we were talking about Star Trek, for example. Um, but we could take a lot of other examples, too, Star Wars or even Game of Thrones. There's a marketing or sort of a capitalist aspect to it where things have to keep getting continued mm. and maybe the author is not even connected to it anymore and then you have other people writing and they have to create continue those worlds and sometimes those worlds don't really correspond with the original world i mean how do you look at that how is that incorporated into this um idea of world building it happens in video games too and in board games as well well i mean yeah um so you're thinking about the the franchises right basically yeah yeah, yeah. and the longer a franchise has been around and the more money that's gone into it the larger the world of that franchise basically yeah and the world building ideas can all of a sudden be different because they have to be to set up the story that they want to tell i i think but i could be wrong um i think you're right mm. after a fashion but it also takes us back to what you said that mm. you'd have to follow the internal rules yeah and at least from my perspective i agree with you preferably mm. they should even if they're working with someone else's world or they're working with a world that is I'm thinking Marvel Cinematic Universe mm -hmm. world, mm -hmm. um, that they'd stick to the same rules even if there's several writers working with these things. Mm -hmm. um, there is not, not a problem for us if there are inconsistencies in a world. Mm -hmm. uh, but as any kind of critic, you could notice these inconsistencies and mm -hmm. you could discuss them in terms of what they do, why, why are they there, mm -hmm. Uh, it wouldn't destroy the the approach that we have to to just looking at a world. Mm -hmm. It would just reveal different things than if you looked at the narrative and saw inconsistencies. Mm -hmm. So I'm also thinking from the, the since we're talking about critical world building, do do the maybe you haven't got to that point yet uh, with this research, but ha have you ever seen that? when uh, people who are studying this stuff, whatever they write, whatever, they, they are taking this into account that uh, somehow we need to get the timeline changed somehow. So they create some reason for it. Also, a little bit like with Star Wars. I mean, they had to, for the longest time, it was pretty hard to understand why they would build this Death Star with this one vulnerable point and why they would have to do the same thing three times in a row. But, but like then they backtrack and back engineer a story. Was it Rogue One was the story about that, right? Yeah, that sounds, I think sounds familiar. That, I yeah. think that was the Let, one. Let's assume so. Yeah. So, I mean, so sometimes they make an effort to go back. But, I mean, do, 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 do the, the, the critics and the scholars ever take into account that, well, this might just be because they need to create a new story. This is because we have to have another continuation. It's not like, a, like I may have the wrong idea. I, to me, it wouldn't be like genuine world building. It's more like, uh, you know. But I don't, I don't think we're interested so much in genuine, mm. whether something is genuine or whether it was original to the story or not. Mm. I think some, there, are, there are definitely critics who would be interested in that. Mm. Um, but I'm not sure that that's a key 
component of what we're looking at, or or rather someone who is interested in that could in fact use the framework that, that okay. we've set up in order to, to examine, you know, inconsistencies or, or how the world has been retrofitted in order to work. But I, I personally am not, um, I guess that's not my angle. Yeah. It's, it's slipping towards the authorial world building is it? Uh, where you you have the idea that, OK, I'm putting together this world as some sort of craft. Mm -hmm. um, you're creating something for a purpose, mm -hmm. whereas the, the critical approach, then we're sort of looking at what's there. Mm -hmm. um, I've sometimes discussed this in, in terms of world architecture rather than world building, mm -hmm. um, that you're looking at it from an aesthetic mm -hmm. uh, viewpoint. You're sort of looking at structures and aesthetics and uh, what is actually there. You could discuss the architecture of the mm. world rather than the process of putting it together bit by bit and the reasons for putting one bit here and one bit there. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I get it, I get it. I you're somewhere in the, the sort of the, the zone between mm. the two or, or possibly the overlap, but... Mm. Uh, for me, if I look at it, I would just say, OK, I'm looking at the Star Wars franchise mm -hmm. and these are the details that I have. Mm -hmm. And then I'd just put together. So this is what the world is like. Mm -hmm. um, and then I might want to discuss it from a, a critical angle or, or a theoretical angle, for instance, say mm -hmm. echo criticism. Then I would do that. The reasons why the uh, company that produced the films make certain decisions would not figure into it. Okay. okay. Yeah, I mean, one of because since I'm not an expert on this topic the way you guys are, I mean, because I deal a lot with popular culture, one of the things people almost always ask me is about why so many reboots? Why so many origin stories? Why do we have to hear Spider-Man's origin mm -hmm. story for the, you know, the fifth time or whatever? And I think this, that partly plays into it because another origin story will be better for the way they want to continue the line and they're kind of messing around with the world building from the beginning. But this is not at the core of what you guys are doing. No. No. Right, but I, again, if somebody were interested, I think that the tools that we have set up would allow mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. exploration in interesting ways in that, but it's not what we're focused on personally. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm, I'm very much interested in where you guys are going to go with this, what your future projects are, what kind of plans you have for the future. So we're in the midst of writing an article on epigraphs, which um, okay. so we'll have that coming out uh, soon-ish, we hope. Um, and then we are also interested in some other aspects. Yeah, so basically what we're doing, since none of us are working on this full time, mm -hmm. is we're doing it piecemeal. Okay. Um, and we've started by, by putting together some notes about sort of the, our general ideas. Mm -hmm. And now we're going through area by area. So mm -hmm. we've looked at epigraphs, maps, uh, pictures, mm -hmm. um, like uh, sort of encyclopedias that go with mm -hmm. certain works but are not part of the narrative. Mm -hmm. um, other things like that. But we also want to look at other areas. So we're going to look at time okay. and the, the meaning of time in when, when building a world. Good luck um, with that. It's, well, it's we're just going to... It's a philosophical gonna, concept, isn't it? It's not really a... Yes, but it has sort of physical implicate, or it can have physical yeah, implications. You know, get, uh, yeah. time, time, for example, in characters. Time in characters means the age of characters or mm. whether they, you know, act the age that they are or whether they don't and... Mm. and 
you know, gender roles or, or rather, you know, age, age roles, I guess you could say, mm. and that sort of thing. So mm. time, it can be more um, concrete and also not than The than way that it. time is built into a landscape, for instance, mm. uh, much fantasy has the idea that things that happen always started a long, long, long time ago. Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, In a galaxy Cal- far, far away. Yeah. Well, that mm. possibly, but... Mm at least a long time ago. A long time ago, yeah. uh, That critic John Clute called this the time abyss in the Encyclopedia of Fantasy, and mm. the idea that there is this enormous gulf of, of time stretching backwards, mm. and that solutions to problems are, are usually also something that you'd find it's, it's an old solution, okay. uh, rather than something, you don't create something new, like, let's take the Lord of the Rings, it, it's not a question of finding a new way of defeating Sauron, it's, finding a way of undoing an old problem. Okay, okay. I get that. Um, that sounds really interesting. Whereas science fiction, on the other hand, is usually finding a new solution yeah. to or the problem. Yeah, or messing around with timelines and that yeah. kind of stuff, which they do is kind of a shortcut. Yeah, it can be. Um, yeah, yeah. We're also interested in, in just looking at something like, uh, so Audrey mentioned, I'm not keen on the idea that worlds might have depth that mm. some worlds are deeper than others or okay. more solid or have mm. more substance. But I want to find out because there is still that sense uh, that there is more world around the corner mm-hmm. somehow. Mm-hmm. And to some worlds, there is not that sense, mm. right? Mm. And so we want to find out what is this? How how can that be framed in, in critical terms? Sure. Um, but the basic end to all this is to show a number of examples and then to get some sort of comprehensive idea of how can we work with mm-hmm. with well how, how does this method work sure put the toolbox together with as many tools as we can and, find. Examples, of, and examples of using the tools so the second article we did was on we took one short story that you can find easily online and um, we kind of looked at it through critical world building specifically so people could sort of follow along and 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 mm. because this is a, a new way of looking at things and mm. so it's not just describing what we're doing but also showing this is how you can mm-hmm. do it too and go off and and encourage people to to use it and sure and of course you're starting something new which is always kind of based on something old but you'll adjust and tweak it as you get feedback and anything with any new idea like that you're going to have to adjust things as you go along and see how it works out absolutely as i was rereading the the very first article that we put together on this i was seeing places where i was thinking oh and we'd kind of shifted in the next paper because Mm. that first article we wrote very very quickly Mm. um to be fair we were very very upset (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Yes, uh, but we also wanted to get it in, together in time for my book okay. that was going to be published kind of shortly mm-hmm. after that. Um, and and as a result, there are things that we have changed and things that we have looked at and things that we have kind of changed our minds on. So yeah, it's definitely still growing and still. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you threw us for a loop today, so that's okay. great. <laughs> oh, <I can laughs> so yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, and, and of course, that's the, the scientific uh, endeavor works, right? You, you're constantly adjusting as you go along. That sounds like a fantastic uh, new, I wouldn't say maybe it's not a new discipline, but it's very close to a new area of uh, research. Uh, and I'm looking forward to maybe having you guys back again. That'd I don't know when, how often you're in Sweden. Uh, every, every once in a while. Every so, once in a while. Yeah, I'm sure I could, I could manage. Do a Skype thing or something like that if, if we have to. Yeah. So I'm very glad to have Brilliant. you guys. Thanks for having us. Well, thank you too yes. for coming thank and you so sharing much. your thoughts. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank you.
And that's it for us uh, this week on the Got Pop Popular Culture Podcast. Bye. Bye. Bye.